I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Big publishers are talking E3, PlayStation VR 2 is finally here, and Call of Duty is going to make your Nintendo Switch explode. This is VGC, a video games podcast with me, Jordan Midler, Andy Robinson, and Pete Donaldson. How are we doing, folks? Very good, mate. How are you? I'm not bad, you know. It's, um, we're kind of getting out of the busy season, but after being stuck in the guides mines... Out of the busy season is February. Yeah, but there's... You're only getting started, mate. There's no big games for a while now, though. It's like, I, I can just... Yeah, Resident Evil 4 next month. Yeah, but that's, a, that's an Andy Robinson joint. I wasn't even born when the first Resident Evil came out. It does It does feel like everyone's dodging out of the way of Zelda as well, right? Yeah, <laughs> big time. What about you, Pete? How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I've, I've been enjoying your, um, well, just general Twitter badinage, Jordan, and also um, your, uh, your 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 time spent with the PSVR helmet. What's it like being in the real world and things you can touch? Because you've spent a, a week or so in the uh, uh, with a helmet on your head. It's it's strange because the, the PlayStation VR 2, because it, we'll talk about this a bit later, but because it is so light, hmm. it's the only time in a VR space that I've had the oh crap, I'm, I'm wearing this big plastic thing. I could put my fist through a, a shelving unit in my in my room. Um, whereas usually, because I have a ginormous head, the, the, the headsets are like compressing my skull to the point where the um, immersion is completely bust. <laughs> it slows you down when you get your head in a vice, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah I've, I've peeled myself away from the virtual reality to join you horrible fleshy humans. And we'll, we'll talk about PSVR 2 later on because that is the big release this week. But let's jump mm. straight into the headlines. Number one, what is going on with E3? Uh, Ubisoft are the first major publisher to confirm their attendance at E3, they told GamesIndustry.biz. We're still finalising the details of our plans and look forward to sharing more soon. Um, they're the largest publisher to commit to the Resurrected show so far. And we've reported, along with other places, that Xbox, Sony and Nintendo won't be making their presence felt at the show, although Microsoft will hold a showcase around the same time. I go first to you, Andy Robinson. What's going on with E3? Well, that is the question. Um, I think if you ask most people, they'll ask you what is going on with E3. Um, there's there's three um, things that are, are really kind of different uh, this year. Um, and that's that obviously there's not been a, an E3 for four years, a proper physical one anyway, um, which is just it's crazy to think, really. I mean, VGC was one month old or two months old the last time um we, we went to an e3 and um so they're kind of they're trying to get back in the, squ- the swing of things after four years and get all these these companies that have spent the, the time in between um with uh, you know kind of their own digital events talking direct to the consumers um with varied levels of success i mean some have been uh, um kind of well established like obviously sony's doing state of play um whereas others like ea show and ubisoft shows were um i think a lot of consumers found really frustrating um, because of their kind of lack of, of, of bangers, really. Um, so they've, they've clearly decided to knock that on the head. Um, and then obviously it's a new company that's, that's running E3 as well. Um, it's uh, Reed Pop, 
uh, which if uh, for anyone who's not familiar with them, they run all the pack shows. They run like uh, com- various comic cons and stuff like that around the world. They are a big kind of established events company. They know what they're doing. So on paper, this is exactly what E3 needed. I mean, before before the, the, the pandemic, E3 was already facing um, a lot of pressure to reinvent itself. It, it, it felt like, you know, it was kind of straddling between the old uh, the E3, which was built for business. And, you know, do you let consumers in? So there's that that question still kind of hanging over it even now. So the Ubisoft scenario was really weird. Um, so they came out in their their earnings call last week and said they're absolutely going to be at E3 with a lot to show if it happens. Yeah. <laughs> was the, was the key bit. Now that confused a lot of people uh, behind the scenes, from my understanding, because mm. E3 is happening and Ubisoft is one of the historically one of the biggest backers of E3. It loves E3 and. I mean, I've spoken to people uh, at Ubisoft and, you know, uh, kind of um, anonymously and they, they've made clear that E3 is going to be really big for them this year. Like exactly as, as Eve Guillermo, their, their CEO, is saying here, like they've got a lot of stuff. So mm. it's it's more about, I guess, I guess it's more about where that drops because E3 is not just the physical show anymore. It hasn't been for a long time. Like there was this IGN story that went out. They scooped me because I was working on it as well about how um, Nintendo, Sony and Microsoft are not attending. But and then I followed it up with just the Nintendo and Sony bit, really, because the Microsoft bit is less clear because Microsoft weren't at the last E3, right? They weren't physically in the building. A lot of companies are are not at E3 in the sense they're in the building. EA is historically in recent years been um, next door. You know, has held its its event next door to the convention center. Microsoft last E three was in the Microsoft Theater, which is again is next door. It's walking distance from the the LACC. Devolver were in the Devolver were in the car park, for example. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, and for the most, for the majority of people, and this is the important bit, the majority of people, E three is just about a time span, not a physical space, mm. right? Yeah. Like for the majority of people who love E three and love all the announcements and the furore. Uh, of of the week it's about all of this news coming at the same time in a big celebration of gaming no one really cares whether they're in the building or not right and that to me yeah doesn't matter so ken coming back to ubisoft ubisoft will be present of the e3 week i'm i'm probably more confident with them than anyone else that they'll be in the actual show itself because they've always supported and i know for a fact that they have have um kind of verbally committed to, to, yeah. to having a, a big booth and stuff um and and i and obviously microsoft are you know we'll have i've already announced they're going to have a, a press conference right and uh, there's also ign reported that they're they're talking to repop about having their own separate event um on the weekend for e3 which i also heard um so again microsoft are at e3 even if they're not in the building um so i think it's um it's it's gonna the scale seems to be like a Gamescom caliber thing. So last year's Gamescom again, that was the first one in probably like three years, pre pandemic. Mm. Um, I thought it was really good. Um, and but you're looking at, you know, you're looking at the the kind of the secondary tier publishers after the the platform models. Xbox was there, but they had more of like <laughs> an experiential booth, like they had like some um, like a Starfield statue and things like that, right? And they had some like idea Xbox games, and and it was it was cool. But you know the companies that were there that were like, like that. Sega and uh, Play On 
and uh, like Ubisoft and yeah. Warner and Bandai Namco. And that's really what people should be expecting from E3, I think. I think I, I'm, it's, it's a bit confusing that they've not announced yet, um, you know, some of these exhibitors. I mean, obviously Ubisoft has now confirmed itself uh, and got ahead of, uh, of an announcement. Um, but it, it seems to be that the process is, is quite late. I mean, obviously Repop is, is yeah. new to this. It's their first one. Even though they are very, very good at running events, they are very, very. It's, it's literally their business. They're a bit um, kind of late to, to signing all this on, I think, and I think that's where some of the confusion comes from. There might even be a little bit of trepidation among some publishers where they're sort of like, "Yeah, we definitely want to come to E3. We want to booth, you know, kind of give us some space, but we want to wait and see who else is announced before we commit." Like nobody <laughs> wants to be, yeah, they're, they're the only company at E3, right? But then that creates this awful chicken and egg situation where it's like, well, we can't announce anyone unless you commit. And then some companies might not want to commit until they see who's announced. Yeah. So it's this weird Imagine thing. the programmers just kind of trying to create these ver- vertical slices going, are we in or out? Oh, do I have to make anything or not? Do I have to put anything on a USB key or not? Well, that's, that's, a, that's, a very good, <laughs> that's a very good point, Pete, because that's a, one of the biggest challenges of uh, coming back to physical events. On, on my, my, my kind of first point of the challenges of, of setting up this E3 is coming back from after a pandemic is that most of these companies have just stopped doing any pre-release code. Mm. Like that's not a trivial thing. If you're making an E3 demo, that's like six months of, of work, right? Almost guaranteed you're going to miss your release date. <laughs> like if you have, if you have a tick out the year for it. I mean, I, I create, I worked on a game and we had an E3 demo. So I've exhibited at mm. E3 as a developer with a demo. And it, uh, even as an indie team of 15 guys, it took us months yeah. <laughs> to make that demo. Like it's a trivial thing. Like I was like, oh, let's, um, let's just lob a build out. And I'll just, you know, let them play. No, no. you have to like the tut- you have to the tutorial, new tutorials have to be put in because right. it has to be built for a five to ten minute experience to showcase the game. That's what I want to see, though, Andy. I want to I, I want to see boardroom suits on stage covered in sweat. That's, I yeah. want them out of their comfort zones. I want them missing their cues. I want mics fucking up everywhere. I just want I want everything freezing. Oh, we all want it. We all want it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like that is the E three that I watched as a teenager. The staying up until four in the morning watching Sony shows like. I remember the the first the Xbox One and PS4 uh, release year, so the 2013 shows. Those mm. were the big like, and and we support used games, and everyone pops like it's fucking WrestleMania. <laughs> hip hop gamers up there, we spinning his belt like. <laughs> I love hip hop gamer. What a legend. Those, those are the moments, and yeah, in terms of like, I've had invites to E3 from agencies representing publishers and it is all this it's like the secondary tier not but it's, it's the big names but it's nothing super prominent it's all japanese stuff really i i think it's going to be you need to look at gamescom gamescom for the kind of mix of companies that you're going to get yeah um it seems to be I, I think most of the japanese companies will be there um and, and again this is this is still you know nothing is 100 percent at the moment things can change mm-hmm. but in terms of like companies that have plans around that week and they're, they're, they're trying to cement you know where those are going to be those are the, the companies that are in the mix so um speaking of which um so that i can address all the people who are going to be angry at me on twitter <laughs> so one of those is is konami uh so i was going to put this on the site but i've saved it for the for the podcast there we go uh, so konami uh, as is going to have a pretty big e3 uh, from my understanding um, I mean, I've reported on this in the past, um, probably too much, actually, it's dragging <laughs> on a bit. We expected them to to start talking about a lot of their stuff last year, which they did with Silent Hill, 
um, eventually after that saga dragged on. Um, but I also reported, I think last year or the year before, that they they had they, they're reviving all of their their IPs. Really, like they've they've kind of opening up to collaborating with with more developers, which they were a bit more hesitant to do as a you know big conservative Japanese company. So it, it's been brewing for a while. But I I believe is this E three is going to be when you're going to start to see more of that. I mean, they've already had a big, you know, kind of a pre, um, a digital event to talk about Silent Hill. And I mean, how many games are there? Three or four Silent Hill games they're working on? Uh, and yeah. a movie? And, and like a... experiences and like yes. all that kind of stuff as well. So that that is, you know, obviously I reported on that a long time ago. And that's reflective of, you know, their, their, um, their attitude as a company towards bringing these IP back. So... They're gonna have. They're gonna. I, I'm pretty sure they'll have an E3 booth, um, mm-hmm. and they'll probably be at a, you know, hold a lot of this stuff at a, a press conference as a platform holder kind of media event. Um, you know, which one that is, you can guess. I mean, I don't really know much about what PlayStation's doing, but if they were doing something, you you would expect them to go with PlayStation. Yep. Considering their their track record, but that said, they did announce they've done a lot of Metal Gear stuff in the past at um, uh, Xbox press conferences. So, and it's the same story as I said before, really. There's a new Castlevania um, in addition to the um, Dead Cells DLC that they, they announced at the Game Awards. So that is the furthest along, I've been told. And there's, of course, this, this kind of much-discussed Metal Gear Solid 3 remake, which I also expect them to finally um, show. Uh, so the, the thing that's less clear is what they're going to do with these older Metal Gear games that everyone's really desperate to see kind of come back to storefronts, um, you know, so we can all play again on, on modern platforms. Um, and I mean, I, they were, they, uh, as of like a year, two years ago, that was in the plans. Um, it's less clear now um, what they're going to do with that. I, I, I understand that there's some... Um, some debate about you know the, the way that they should approach that and i w- would imagine that metal gear solid 3 the remake is going to be somewhat of a test bed uh, yeah. for that because you can imagine you know ea have just put out dead space which has been very successful critically um, and now everyone's pretty desperate for them to do the same for the second one right which is my favorite it would have been a bit odd if they put out a Dead Space collection before that, you know, with HD remasters and blah, blah, blah. And then it doesn't really fit. You can't really do both. Yeah. Um, so I, that's what I'm expecting at this point is, is MGS free remake. And then we'll kind of, they'll kind of use that as a test bed for what comes next. Mm, nice. Um, so you're going to come over to E3 with us? Yeah, absolutely smash. <laughs> well, um, since they closed the Hotel Figueroa, uh, the last E3 I went to, I was in the Hotel Figueroa. Did they close that? I think they closed it or redid it. And I know for a fact I couldn't get in there the, the year after, but um, I remember spending something like $40 for one uh, white Russian and the guy made it with those, you know, those little packets of milk. Ugh, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, E3 is always a very interesting, and 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 I do like those kind of little breakout areas. And it's a little bit like we're heading out to WrestleMania for our WrestleMe podcast uh, in a few weeks' time, and like it is just like you've got 
the main event that happens over two days in, you know, um, Inglewood or whatever. But then you've got at the Ukraine Centre or Skid Row, you've got all the hotels that have little shows on, little WrestleCon kind of meet and greets and stuff like that. And and, and it's that that's really interesting. You know, Effie's big gay brunch we saw in Dallas uh, last year, the stuff that the the, 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 the Mexican setups are, are doing as well. Like, it's it's the, the vibe of sort of being there um, as an experience, but also um, it's just a time to, to, to put out all your press releases. And, like, back in, like, the late 90s, three was like all about like individual games were kind of like too small fry for companies you know it was about yeah. tech and 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 then metal gear solid 2 i think arrived and and just turned man with a penguin stand and a, and a tv screen and a ball full of branded pens into we need 20 minutes of in-engine footage and we don't have to be able to play them <laughs> but we just and 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 i just think e3 needs these kind of like ceo or um marketing director kind of like characters back we, we where's our reggie Doug Bowser's gone missing. What's going on? We need three Keanu's. We just need men and women on uh, on stage doing crap jokes like David Brent. That's what E3's yeah. about. It's about things going wrong. Speaking of huge global mainstream attention, <laughs> this Microsoft Activision thing is never going to end. Um, but thankfully, this week we had another chapter in the story. It took place in Brussels, where they put their case forward to the EU. And really, we could sit and talk about this, but there was only one person to talk about this subject with... And it's Chris Ring from GamesIndustry.biz. I got his take uh, when he was literally about an hour off of his flight from Brussels. So enjoy that. So I'm here with Chris Ring from GamesIndustry.biz, a friend of the site. Chris, you were in Brussels yesterday. Tell us how it all went down. Yeah, so yesterday, um, so Microsoft called this hearing. Right. So they, they've had these objections from the European uh, uh, regulator going, we don't like this. We don't like this. So Microsoft went, OK, we're going to argue this. We're going to present our case in a hearing. They summoned Sony. They summoned Google. They summoned NVIDIA. They summoned all these big companies. This closed hearing that went on for quite a while, but actually not as long as it was scheduled to go on. Um, and then straight afterwards, they, they came out to tell everyone how it went. The big news out of it was the Nintendo contract had been signed um it's all a bit performative really i mean nintendo don't need a contract to call a duty on it but they they want it to they want to show that they mean they they mean what they say and so that was um that was at the beginning of the day and then they announced straight afterwards that nvidia geforce now was also going to get not just call of duty but all xbox games and they announced it in brad smith who is a big multi probably billionaire political charming man waved a piece of paper around to say here's the sony contract it's probably got a lot of red pen on it i'd say and sitting in his uh sitting in his thing and then yeah that was that was sort of it um and um uh i suspect it went okay for microsoft um because the european uh commission that lot are a little bit more open to what we call behavioral remedies and um microsoft knows how to to work the eu know how to, they know because they've, they've had their wrists slapped by this group quite a few times down the years and they've had to um adhere to certain rules and regulations and and that kind of stuff and i suspect this is going to be a, a continuation of that so i think it probably went okay i think the key thing for me is the nvidia deal was more interesting than i think people realize and is that because of microsoft's investment in cloud and kind of the direction of travel of that segment of the industry yeah so the regulators have got two chief concerns right one of them is the call of duty concern which is the if Call of Duty come, it becomes an Xbox exclusive, either now or in the future, what does that mean? All the PlayStation players walk away. I mean, I, it's a complicated question because what we're talking about there is the network effect. So Call of Duty's audience alone isn't big enough to unsettle PlayStation. But if a huge number of people go across to Xbox, do their friends then come across? And does that create 
what we call a network effect. So that's what PlayStation's worried about. That's that's one argument. And Xbox's 10-year promise, putting it on Switch, all this kind of stuff is their way of countering that. Because what happens next is interesting to me. Because if the deal goes through, Activision Blizzard is in some ways a more efficient and effective games business than Microsoft Xboxes. Their marketing teams are bigger and more powerful. Their game studios are better run and more efficient. And so you sit there and go, do you do you are you going to put Microsoft Activision Studios under Microsoft's current studio leadership team, or is Microsoft going to lead Microsoft Studios? It's such a big you can't. It's such a big company. It's going to fundamentally change Xbox. So that bit's a really fascinating conversation I want to have with Microsoft, but obviously they're not ready to talk about that yet because the deal hasn't gone through. The other side is the deal doesn't go through. What does Xbox do now? Because their whole pitch has been around subscriptions been all about streaming and, and growing that market and they feel they need a massive game to really drive that and if they can't get one and they can't build one is microsoft going to get bored and that is for me there there's this real there's going to be some, whatever outcome there's gonna be some real repercussions from this and a far more interesting conversation so where does that leave us where are the pieces in this uh, ever extending transfer saga well the ftc the u.s regulator is taking um the whole thing to court that's a little way that's a little further out. They've only really just got started there. The EU obviously has now got all the information it needs to make a decision. The key one, and it's always been the key one from the very beginning, is the UK regulator, the CMA. And the UK is a massive market. Microsoft has a massive presence in the UK. So does Activision Blizzard. If the UK block this deal, sure, they may be able to take that hit, but I, I doubt it. So um, it's a real big deal. The UK regulator is... Um, they're really concerned about big technology companies and the competition, competitive effect of them buying big businesses. Um, they've recently had Activision Blizzard try and throw stones at the UK by suggesting that if they block this deal, it turns the UK into Death Valley rather than Silicon Valley, which I actually think probably has the opposite effect than I think Activision Blizzard were hoping to have. And the UK regulator are not going to think, not going to listen to this big angry American man who wants his 70 billion. I think Microsoft's hoping that if the EU approve it, the CMA will fall in line. The big thing about this is the CMA have requested that Microsoft make what they call structural remedies. Structural remedies means changing something about the business that means they don't have to police it. So, for instance, um, selling off the Call of Duty brand and the Call of Duty studios. If Microsoft can carve off Call of Duty and sell that off, CMA will go, that's fine, you can buy the rest of it. Well, Chris, I'm sure we'll speak to you again when you're in a, another conference room in the UK hearing the, the definitive decision. The real question is, um, who do we need to speak to and what governing body do we need to petition to get that Tony Hawk 3 and 4 remake? I think this is the important thing. I think every regulator will accept this deal mm. if Microsoft turned around and said, you know what, in the, if, by, if you approve this deal, we will release Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and 4, the remake, on, on all consoles and... Um, We'll even get like the Keras Visions to do it. I don't think we'd even got to phase two, you know. I think I think every regulator would gone fair enough, you know. That's yeah. that's good for everybody. It's good for everyone. Thanks a lot, Chris. So the main thing from that, um, that I think is interesting, because truly I feel like this saga has gone like on way too long. Yeah, I think we're all bored of talking about it. Call of Duty on Switch, just top line, what is this conciliatory? Is this kind of song and dance? Or is this putting the mobile version of Warzone onto Switch and making a billion dollars? What do you think? Um, I think that few people care. I mean, does anyone care about... <laughs> does anyone on Switch want Call of Duty? And does anyone who plays Call of Duty want to play it on Switch? I'd say the answer is probably no to both of those. No. Mm. it's As Chris said, it's a big song and dance, right? It's Microsoft uh, is, is, put, is putting on a show of bravado uh, to get this deal across the line. 
and part of that is to you know like sony sony's not gonna is not gonna sign its deal seemingly so they're making it, them look as silly as they can you know i wouldn't be surprised if they sign a 10-year deal with like uh, nvidia like with uh, nokia engage <laughs> for call of duty on that like just to make a point oh look it's on you know we're on, we're on engage run it's going to be on the uh sega we're going to sign a 10-year deal with them if they make dreamcast 2 they can have call of duty as well <laughs> that weird keleco vision that's coming out uh, not coming out yeah they're going to sign a deal with tom Metality cool for a call of duty for the next 20 <laughs> you, years yeah. it's all it's all bravado right it's all bravado like no one wants to play call of duty on switch you know the next switch yeah. fine but then that kind of kills their argument a bit about how they're, they're shouting about how they're bringing it. This deal will bring it to 150 million new players. Well, not on Switch 2, it won't. Also overlooks massively how many people are on a Switch and another console, which I'd say is a big chunk, yeah. right? The more interesting thing in this from a a like business um, perspective of like looking at this deal go, going through is the NVIDIA one. Like they obviously they signed a deal with NVIDIA, the 10-year deal to have um, Xbox PC games on um, NVIDIA uh, GeForce Now, their, their cloud streaming platform. And up until now, it was just like um, Xbox Cloud, like Game Pass, right? Game Pass Ultimate. And that was one of the big questions around this because the one of the, the, the main concerns from regulators was, one, how is this going to affect the console market? Like if PlayStation were to lose Call of Duty, you know, is that going to absolutely tank them? And the, but the bigger unknown one, which was probably a bit scary for Microsoft, was they were like, well, how's this going to affect the cloud um, a, a kind of industry, a cloud gaming industry? Because that's so new that you're just speculating. So it really was, well, well hold on. Down the line, when that, if that becomes the biggest distribution of games, if you've got a monopoly on like the world's biggest console game, then what happens there? So uh, in terms of symbolism that's probably a much bigger deal than uh, the Nintendo one. Out of sort of a, a deal that would be quite hard to sign, I think turning up to Nintendo and NVIDIA and going, do you want some money? Like, this, the, that, that's the deal, basically, isn't it? Do you want our game that's really, really popular uh, to sell, you know, a, a, maybe 100,000 units or however many units that, that they think they're going to get out? It's just, uh, for me, certainly on the Call of Duty side, it reeks of either a cloud-based gaming solution or do you know like how they do like fifa legacy on the switch yeah and it's like based <laughs> yeah. on and they just hates. update the player roster from the it's going to be the original modern warfare 2. exactly <laughs> it's going to be called it's going to be gamecube's call of duty finest hour and it's going to be just updated <laughs> skins every time i want them to go further though you know announce up mctavish and splatoon yeah exactly. clear and house <laughs> kevin spacey and smash brothers let's do it <laughs> Uh, another Microsoft adjacent story because it's now in the Microsoft family. Um, Shinji Mikami is reportedly leaving Tango Gameworks. This was reported this morning by True Achievements, who have reportedly seen an email which uh, reads that Shinji Mikami has decided to leave Tango Gameworks in the coming months. Mikami san has been a creative leader in support of mentor to young developers at Tango for 12 years through his work on the Evil Within franchise, Ghostwire Tokyo, and of course, Hi Fi Rush. Now, Mikami is a name that is lauded in the games industry for his time at Capcom working on Resident Evil, including Resident Evil 4, which most people would say is his uh, best title. Andy, how did this strike you? You've been talking about this for a few years, about uh, Mikami potentially wanting to leave Tango, but now it seems to be actually happening. Well, this is a really interesting story because, um, I mean, as you as you mentioned there, I reported on this in 2019. Yeah. Um, that that Mikami was kind of eyeing the exit door. This is going back four years now. And um, I had some really well-placed Japanese sources who 
basically, you know, kind of laid out the the whole story, which was Resident Evil 3 Remake is, is A, coming soon. B, it's being worked on by a brand new company called M2. Um, not to be confused with the existing, there's two Japanese companies called M2, which is even more confusing. Um, but basically, the story was this company is a um, Capcom-backed, like, independent developer by um, uh, someone called um, Minami, who uh, was, um, he worked at Capcom with Shinji Mikami. And uh, he was, I believe, the boss of Platinum Games. So obviously they went there together. They have history together. And the story I was told was that, well, M2 was formed for by both of them. Like the reason it's called M2 is because it's Manami Mikami. Yeah. And I was even shown a business card with Mikami's name on it, an M2 <laughs> business card. Like, you know. So it was uh, that far along. So that, that was the story. Allegedly, that was what was, was going to happen. It clearly didn't. Bethesda strongly denied it. Uh, when I when I approached them, Makami um, himself, I understand, denied it. But there's no. It's one of these, especially. It's when you're reporting on Japanese stories. Obviously, there's a language barrier, um, but there's a lot of smoke here, you know. So it always led me to believe that there was something in this, especially because obviously every other part of my story became true. At the end of that year, they announced him too. It's Manami, they're working on Resident Evil. It's all right, okay. So that that kind of strengthens your your confidence in the story. Um, so there, there was a lot of chatter that I, I would never kind of be confident enough to write down in words about him being, you know, kind of eyeing the exit door at that time. I mean, you only have to look at the circumstance around it as well. It's really not, it's a rare occurrence that a Japanese studio sells to a um, foreign company. That's that's quite rare. Um, usually, there's a lot of um, culture and um, uh, unwritten rules where the, a lot of the Japanese companies kind of look after each other. It's very rare that you see a Japanese company go bust. The base, the the base understanding I have is that, uh, and, and Mikami has said this himself when he sold to Bethesda in 2010 because he formed Tango GameWorks. He had some financial struggles after their first game. Bethesda had kind of saved him, really. I, from what I, from what I'm speak, I'm hearing from people. I don't believe he would have sold to Bethesda if he's doing great, right? Mm. Um, the unwritten rule for these guys making their independent studio is that at some point they're going to sell it for tens or hundreds of millions. That's the point, right? Mm. You kill yourself. This is hard creating any company, um, you know. But a game development company, it's bloody hard. But the reward at the end is that someone buys it. You don't just let it, you know, die off. Or even there, were you going to just like you cash in right yeah. at some point? That's what happens. I mean, I remember when I started working in the games media, it was always very shocking. Like whenever a, a big independent developer like sold to big guys, like, wow, wow, you know, when Bioware went at EA, and um, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but um, and you was like, oh, that's that's incredible. Like, but it's not because those guys made, guys made mm. Bioware, and then you do it for like 10, 20 years, and then when the first publisher offers hundred mil, you go see ya. And then you work your um, your claws for a couple of years and you leave. That happens at every single company. Yeah. This is not unusual. So, so the uh, the thing that is unusual is that Mikami, because he's he's allegedly, um, I think I believe he said this himself, was in some um, facing some financial trouble. He's clearly sold it to Bethesda um, for less than he would have hoped from the work that he's put in. You know, from establishing all these people and putting out these big big games. Um, so he's probably not got the payday he wanted. He's probably, 
he's left Capcom in the first place to go and be independent and get more independence. So he definitely doesn't want to work for another like kind of overbearing publisher, uh, you would think, um, because he's left in the first place to do Platinum and then left again to make his own. If he was going to end up anywhere else, I wouldn't be surprised if he did go to Cap back to Capcom, you know, to work with Manami. Capcom, I understand, has changed a lot since he left. Um, I believe um, Manami, I'm told that he's being treated really well, you know, that they're happy working there. Platinum Games, obviously, is going for a big change as well. He's former company. They've got... Um, They've got a new boss there, ex-Nintendo guy. Um, they seem to be, um, just even in the last kind of six months or a year that that's happened, better run. Mm. They, they seem to be a bright future over there. A lot of ambition. That, that could be somewhere. Mm. But again, it's a guess. Mm. And I should say, by the way, and we've not said this at all, if this is true, it's not com- <laughs> it's not confirmed. Yes. Like I've just gone through all of that rant, but we still, Bethesda are yet to, um, kind of at the time of recording this podcast, they're yet to respond. Yeah. Uh, to this story which has come from true achievements but you know like it's a pretty solid story they're not it doesn't seem many ifs and buts they're saying it's an email and it's written by this guy and this is what it says and it it kind of supports everything that i've been been expecting to happen pete just briefly what do you think about this kind of um so obviously mikami is now went to bethesda and then bethesda became under the microsoft umbrella and more and more um companies come under microsoft's umbrella what do you think about these auteurs kind of getting sucked up into the system then breaking away and starting their new thing again just repeating that cycle i, I always find it very uh, satisfying that um they adopt the branding so hard that they can sometimes change physically as well <laughs> as mentally i think um toshiro nagoshi um the um yakuza guy you look at pictures of him before he started working on yakuza and he looked like an absolute dweeb now he looks like a mad 70s japanese pop star he lo- his face is strange and puffy and and he wears leather jackets and he looks like a sex person lynn it's great stuff i love it i love people who kind of uh, adopt their brand uh, that hard it's 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 it's, it's wonderful <laughs> that's why since i started working for vgc more Nintendo t-shirts have turned up at my, my door. Just all this Stop retro it, shit. Jordan. You, you'll get criticism from Twitter. You've had a week of it. And I can't remember fans, what it was about this week. Nintendo fans never shout at me. It's genuinely never oh. happened, and I don't know how. Um, speaking of a fan base that likes to shout at me, PlayStation State of Play returns tonight. <laughs> um, uh, there was a really kind of out-of-nowhere announcement saying, get ready for, new look, for some new anticipated games from our third-party partners as well as the first glimpse at five PlayStation VR 2 games set to arrive later this year, then settle in for more than 15 minutes of all-new gameplay and details on Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which is Rocksteady's next game. Now, this is an interesting one because Sony's got got pretty quiet back half of the year, apart from Spider-Man, so... Mm. And this is from... This is third-party partner games, so is this a case of stuff that they are co- co-marketing like what are you expecting from this andy a quiet show or what well from what i said earlier i'm not expecting much at all yeah. because i think usually they're a bit underwhelming um but this is an excellent way of dating our podcast isn't it i record another bit i think i think i'll, I'll record another bit and we can edit it i think it's going to be spectacular wow i can't be believe great. when they um, came out and announced the last of us three that was crazy indeed <laughs> i don't think they're usually well, it's difficult not to be cynical. A lot of these platform holder digital events uh, are kind of like uh, happen because they have marketing obligations. Like they literally legally have to do them. Like especially right. because it's it, it that, and this that kind of 
that four is em- emphasised for me by the fact that this is for Suicide Squad. They've announced that Suicide Squad is in it. It's the Suicide Squad one. So it does the cynical part of me is already looking and going, well, they've just chucked some VR games they've got onto the Suicide Squad set of play that they have to do mm. by, you know, the end of the fiscal year, yeah. you know, which is coming up. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. It's interesting be, because be- the last couple of these, it was like, they did one for Gotham Knights. They did one for Hogwarts Legacy. They did one for Suicide Squad. So clearly Warner has just like driven a boatload of money up to them and they're like, just get us in front of these um, these state of plays. I also think that on the week that PlayStation VR 2 came out, with one of the main criticisms being there doesn't there's a, like barely any exclusive stuff at launch and there doesn't seem much down the line, they need to come out here and be like, here is the thing. Here is the... Here, they, they honestly need a, a first party Sony vr game kind of like in the pipeline i think they'll probably come out and just say we're, we're going to give you um the um gotham game but you, you're allowed to use vr but just for the menus or something <laughs> like all of our menus are vr <laughs> but not the game itself just the menus so like that, that's because that, because even like vr 2's just come out and it's already looking would it be fair to say all a little bit thin and a little bit me too and a little bit kind of like we've got nothing because <laughs> we all know that which studios would be working on these titles uh, and they've all got other things on haven't they so that's the thing like um playstation vr 2 from my from the actual tech perspective practically couldn't be better but it falls it kind of mm. falls apart when you get to the games like even mm. one of the big games that they're talking about gran turismo 7 which has its vr update it's just in the game that's v- it's when you're racing as VR, the menus are a flat screen, like that kind of cinema <laughs> mode. Of like they haven't changed uh. any of that stuff. Like you don't get to sit in the cafe in VR, which was greatly disappointing to me. Um, <laughs> but the but when you get into the race, you're like, this is a transformatively good VR experience. Same way, mm. like Horizon, brilliant. And obviously in this VGC parish, we are big um as a gucci fan so having tetris effect and res infinite is like an essential part of any vr lineup but yeah um that's probably a a good time to transition into our psvr i do believe just to add to that i do believe i've just seen um a leak crop up on my uh, discord about um uh one of what's that vr game that he's working on for ages that's oh yeah i've not seen humanity enhances humanity Apparently a demo has just cropped up on the PSN back end, Ooh. so that's probably another... Mm. Now we're talking, get him in here. Um, <laughs> I mean, the last time I spoke to Mizuguchi before he could say that he was doing PSVR 2 stuff, when, when I mentioned PSVR VR 2, it was very much like, oh, 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 there you go, there you go. <laughs> Mustn't like you very much, mate. He told me he was doing PSVR 2 before they announced the thing. <laughs> Mine was, re- was being recorded. <laughs> Not these back alley conversations oh, Mine was being recorded, but he just knows I'm a cool dude. You can competitive scoop monsters both of you i can't believe i'm involved in this project we're just we're just every time i mention mikami andy has to one-up me and be like oh well i was a mikami fanboy uh, a mizuguchi fanboy before you were. So you don't even know his name i knew mate. you were gonna say that i've been in his car <laughs> <laughs> oh, i've taken pills with him and listened to the res infinite soundtrack i'm cool <laughs> anyway we will chat more about psvr2 after this Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So PSVR 2 is out this week for those of us with um, almost a thousand pounds to spend. Um, the launch lineup in terms of exclusives is pretty thin, but as you can read in my review on VGC, I thought the headset itself is fantastic. Mm. I don't think it's too expensive when you compare it with the equivalent PC headsets. VR is just an expensive enthusiast hobby. And my question for you two as hardcore gamers, you know, um, what would Sony have to do to make you pay £500 for one of these headsets? I would need uh, a year's supply of... Um, is it Calms? What's that stuff that um, stops you vomiting on ferries? Tums or whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I just need... Because I just cannot... I had... I bought from... Um, uh, CEX, it's probably sex, isn't it? But weirdly, um, I bought the first um, uh, Oculus Rift, and then went off on to experiment with uh, the place, the first PlayStation headset. And I just, I, there's something in my brain that will not allow me to uh, play any of these games. I was all right with that. There's, there was a game that was just all about heading a football. I was all right with that because it's very static, <laughs> it's very calm. No one's moving around. There's nothing moving. But yeah, any VR experience, I just cannot handle. So that whole kind of raft. Of of, of, of games is just completely you know the Half-Life game uh, is completely um, out of bounds for me unless maybe the tech uh, improves um, significantly you should, you should give it a go mate because yeah. I'm, I'm the same right. I'm, I'm the same um, I, when I went to Gamescom last year um, I, I, I was penciled in to see a, a lot of um, kind of VR games mm. And it was so embarrassing because <laughs> the first couple, I'd just get sick and just say, look, I can't play this. And then I'd have to watch the developer play it. Right. Okay. Right? That's fair. Because I couldn't, I couldn't do it at any, like these big, like mental, it's a like walking dead VR game, right? Right. Mm. Which cu- couldn't be more sicking, juicy, <laughs> slashing zombies and sprinting and looking behind you. And uh. um, so but in the end, I was just heading up to these VR appointments going, look, I can't play this. Can you play it? And I'll just watch. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Half-Life Alex is the one, probably the only, it's probably the meaty, one of the meatiest VR games anyway, but mm. I finished it and I absolutely fucking loved it. Right, yeah. Like, it's a five out of five. It's one of the best games I've played in in the last recent years. And it has um, it has multiple, I guess a lot of games do that style. It has multiple kind of like traversal options. You can, um, that, that kind of help with sickness. Mm. And there's the one that I was using where you literally, you teleport instead yes. of moving with a stick. Yeah. You point where you want to go with a little um, kind of HUD item and it will just teleport you there. Um, and there's no sickness, no sickness at all. Right, yeah. I, th- I thought, because like, a lot of like the cockpit-based ones, you know, your elite elite games and stuff, like it's a lot easier to, to manage, I think. It's just all about the motion. That's exactly it. The, the thing that makes me sick is once you... It's, uh, I mean, someone's going to correct me on the comments, but it's... It, it's it's a I think it's Neanderthal thing mm. where when your body sees motion but doesn't sense it, mm. it think you've it poisoned. thinks you've been poisoned, yeah. so it makes you sick. So that's the thing. Like when you're at physical momentum, but you're not feeling any wind. Right? That's why putting a fan in front of you when you're playing VR helps as well. Oh, does it? Right. Your body, yeah, it does. Ah. Yeah, it does. So you'd fu- you would absolutely fucking hate Horizon because the. Um, so I'll demonstrate it for you now. He's got I his own my, hands. He's got, I've got it on his hands. Boxing gloves on um, <laughs> to walk in the most like. So there's three settings: comfort settings in Horizon, mm. in the most extreme one, which is the one I did because I had to know. You walk like this, which oh, I'm doing kind no. of like a Ooh. like like a bushwhacker <laughs> walk almost. Like, um, and then to turn around, you hold one of the triggers and like kind of 
just gesture to, kind to of the side Kelly. like yeah it's very um and then there's like to jump you have to throw your hands forward it's very full on it's very involved the the thing with horizon is when you get the bow and you're like quickly grabbing imaginary arrows from from your quiver and becoming legolas it was so good like mm. it completely tricked me it was like this is obviously like a very wish fulfillment a kind of oh look what vr can do but it totally sold me yeah and it's one of these experiences that is it's one of those vr vr experiences that i think are fantastic but the thing needs about 10 times as many of them to justify people spending this amount of money especially mm. after people spent all that money on the frankly terrible psvr one like the fact that that ever came out it was it was basically ps3 technology uh, i really i really hated psvr bolted to a, a plastic box compared to that psvr with 50 wires yeah, with like a <laughs> and two boxes yeah. turbine <laughs> whereas the the psvr uh the psvr is literally one usb-c cable that plugs into the front it's like right. it's unbelievable see when i when i got my unit i was like is this have i been robbed like why is this box so <laughs> light but yeah it's um i think it's really good i wish i had more stuff to play on it mm. um interestingly there's a few games that if you don't have seven feet in every direction won't start at all they'll, oh really they'll, like scan your room and be like you can't play this <laughs> you, you are a pauper <laughs> you, you need to get so you need a ps5 a 600 quid headset and a new house wow <laughs> much. you need like a, a five-a-side football pitch to try and play it on i like, talked um, myself into buying a 4090 this so <laughs> this month but i don't think i'd get away with i think i need an aircraft hanger <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird though because when you, it's got like a pass-through mode so it's got a camera on the outside so you can mm. see like what's going on you can like check mm. your phone and stuff like that and that's how it scans your your area so i was right. looking around my office and it was it was pretty good it was like okay that's floor that's desk but yeah. then like i have these glass cabinets behind me right. and it freaked the fuck out and it was like yeah. you can stand in there if you want so if i just like hooked straight through one of those glass cabinets <laughs> took out my fucking watchdogs one collector's edition threw it on the floor like it would have no problem with that i'm a hologram but, yeah. man <laughs> i do not respect physics anymore the tech the for the first night i tried it on i played through basically all of tetris effect in one sitting and i took it off and i was like like where's the slam tent like i felt like i just had a, a really heavy one you'd rearranged your entire room <laughs> the glass was like shredded in my wrists but i still think the best way to play vr and this is a pure boring way is like with a normal playstation controller and the headset like for granted as more tetris or res mm. because you ignore all this kind of like ymca pish and you get like mm. the the immersion of something like gt7 which looks amazing in vr i'm a famous gt7 hater however but the um the vr kind of integration that from the gameplay perspective is very impressive right. um but yeah it's a uh, it's a weird almost feels like an obligation from sony rather than playstation wanting to do it kind of thing um and i think it'll get decent support i wouldn't be surprised if horizon is the biggest game that ever comes out for it from like a playstation perspective it's it's like you say like it's a bigger deal for sony probably than it is for playstation it's just there's natural synergy between those two things like if you're going to have a a a like a, an advanced premium uh vr headset then you should probably yeah. be making games for it um i just i mean i said my piece like a, a year or a couple of years ago and i, I got abused for it on social media which <laughs> we get abused for everything on social media um that it just feels like a it felt like yeah. a bit of a distraction to me like games now especially the sort of games that sony make take so much so many resources so many people so long 
you know, 5 million people, I, I believe it was just over 5 million people bought PSVR 1. That's not, I mean, it's profit, VR is profitable, by the way. Unlike all this other stuff, like Metaverse and all the rest of it, VR makes money. It's a profitable industry. Oh, does it? Um, so it's it's not the same thing. It is, it is a profitable um, a, a niche, yeah. but a, one that makes money and could be a lot bigger in the future. But it's still a big niche, like five mil on out of 120 million, PS4s. million <laughs> PS4s. Yeah. yeah. It, it feels like just a module that you drag into your middleware. Just sort of go, right, uh, you know, VR, it's now VR. Yeah. You know, like how gamers get really annoyed and they sort of go, well, why can't they uh, just a redone version of, uh, you know, a, a game from like the 80s? Why can't they just create a new one? Why can't they just uh, create Grand Theft Auto 3 um, with all of these new bells and whistles automatically? Yeah. Just use AI or something. And they, and they have no respect for the actual development. But surely VR, out of all of the things you can do to reinvigorate a brand, drag in the VR module I've just invented in my mind. Um, it, it can't be as hard as retexturing. You just got to make sure it's stable. It runs at a high um, refresh rate, um, and you just you know dial down the dial down the graphics and, and drag in the module. <laughs> well, you kind of you kind of got that with a lot. Like Fallout and Skyrim came to VR, and like it's weird that they're mm. not. On, well, it's not that weird considering they're Microsoft properties now. But it was it would have been nice for them <laughs> to have been on the on the thing on day one. Although yeah any it, mm. it needs big games um but yeah that's our question for you lot the the vgc nation that i'm, I'm going to copyright that term for the merch um what is the interest <laughs> level in vr and what would um psvr2 have to do to get you interested is it games is it being cheaper i imagine it's the the latter more than the former send your responses to podcast at videogameschronicle.com podcast at videogameschronicle.com they all go directly to andy so use that um information as you will. Well, thank you very much for listening to the first episode of VGC, a video games podcast. You can follow myself on Twitter at Jordan Midler. It's a great time. Uh, Andy at Andy Platonic and Pete at Pete Donaldson. Say goodbye, Andy. Goodbye, Andy. Say goodbye, Pete. Farewell all. And we'll see you next week. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 